Hello and welcome, fellow creatives. This podcast is dedicated to encouraging and inspiring you to keep creating. Thanks for joining us on this journey to explore all things creative. I'm Derek Wagner. And I'm Riley Peterson. And this is the Living Creativity Podcast. Hey there, creatives. Thanks for tuning in. We have an exciting episode to share today. We actually interviewing Dave Vincent. He is a husband, father, art director, and brand builder. He currently is working as a senior art director for Bass Pro Shops brand team. David and his team oversee the creative direction for all the company's internal brands, with the exception of the fishing and the boating brands. In addition to this, David works interdependently as a freelance brand designer and a contributing member of the Dear Untitled podcast. With a diverse background, Dave has creative experience related to numerous industries, including food, health, apparel, lumber, tech, nonprofit, and outdoor recreation. All right, let's get to the show. Get comfortable really quick with the idea that a lot of the work that you're going to produce is not going to go anywhere. It's hard. It's not always fun. But to then follow up with that, recognize that someone who's giving you good critique, usually a professor, a coworker, a co-creative, they're not critiquing you. Mm. They're critiquing your mm. work. And that can be very hard to distinguish between. Now, some very clear cues is you can have toxic coworkers and toxic people that mm-hmm are creatives in that same space that are critiquing you. They're not critiquing their work. They've got they've got a B for whatever it might be. And that's usually a pretty clear like, oh, this person making this really personal. This is weird. Um, but my work is being constantly critiqued all day, every day at my job. My boss comes over, takes a look over my shoulder. What if you did this this way? What if you did that? And it's okay. It's not always a yeah, okay, I'm going to do that exactly what you said because I'm the designer. They hired me for a reason. They value my skill set. Um, but I, I have to take into account that critique. And I have to take into account that this might be a concept that I'm working on that gets rejected. Yeah, Doesn't mean it's worthless. It doesn't mean it's a bad concept. It might just not be the right concept. That's really interesting. I, I, I personally have a hard time producing <laughs> things and having it get rejected. Or be like, oh no, it, it won't work. That's difficult for me. I mean, I can think of a cheese mm-hmm. when this is this kind of relates. So when we were when I was first married, I think my wife and I were in Target and we're going through Target and the aisles and looking for like household goods to put in our in our our apartment. And I remember, I think we were looking at dishes and all sorts of things. And I was like, hey, you know, how about this? Like, this looks cool. And she'd be like, no, no, I don't like that. I'm like, okay. And then and, and I, have a, I go, hey, how about this? You know, this looks pretty nice. And she's like, no, nope, I don't I like that either. And how about this? Nope, I don't like that. And eventually I was, it was like, I must have asked, but we're, you know, nope, I don't, <laughs> I don't, I don't like them. And it's just, yeah. <laughs> and at that, and then at that point, I'm like, man, I'm getting shut down here. And I took it personal. Mm-hmm. So to be able to have essentially thick skin, and to understand like this is not personal this is just my opinion and my my 
idea and it just doesn't work for what the client mm -hmm. wants and or it doesn't work for what the listener wants and to be able to, willing to adapt and and adjust is uh that takes probably a lot of training and skill like in internally yeah it was not an innate trait right. for me um when i was in design school it was very much like what do you mean this isn't good? What do you mean you don't like that? What do you mean? Well, that doesn't make sense. And I I was very much internalizing the feedback. Yeah. It was, man, I'm not good enough to do this. Man, I, I just, I really failed at this. Man, I shouldn't be doing this, that kind of stuff. Um, but back to the idea of the creative brief, something that I started to learn to associate was if your creative brief is the standard by which you develop this project, then it's also the standard by which you critique this project. And so critiques become a lot less personal when they're based off of a rubric that you know about in advance. Yeah, yeah. predetermined. Yeah, that's cool. Okay, so here's a question. I'm, I, have, I, have, I have so many questions. Shoot. So go for it. I'm, I'm here, here all night. night. So <laughs> when it comes to, is there a, in a perfect world? And I say this because, I mean, you've got, you've got this really cool collaboration of, of people and creatives in your in your workplace so i'll use that as an example <laughs> in a perfect world and in the best day how do you not necessarily shoot down ideas but how do you how do you give critique and and how do you receive critique by in a way that like they are encouraged or not feeling so <laughs> like that <laughs> like oh taking it personal or feeling rejected is there a certain way, is there a certain technique? Is there something that you do and that you've taken on that you're like, hey, I apply this in the way that I critique others or something like yeah. that? Yeah. Um, I was very fortunate in my design school where I had a professor, well, a series of professors um, that were very, I don't want to say gentle. I want to say very considerate mm. in the way that they gave critique. And I remember asking one of my professors, I was like, how do you, how do you give critique? Because I, I don't see the same things that you're seeing. Like, I, I look at that and I don't think that that's a good idea. I don't like this. And kind of what stuck with me and what I try and implement in my job is start with the stuff that you like, mm. because it's so easy to pick out the things that you don't like. <laughs> You see something you don't like and you know you don't like it right away. Oh, that that color choice, really? That font choice? I think that there are ways to deliver that news in a way that is considerate and respectful of the person's talent and their effort. Um, for example, one of the campaigns that I've been working on, we've been working with uh, a group of designers, very talented. They can do some amazing stuff in a short amount of time. They're They're great to work with. I did not particularly like the font choice from the campaign that they were helping us develop. I didn't think that it was fitting. I didn't think that it was legible enough. So the way that I approach that is, hey, I'm curious about the font choice that you have. I see how it fits into this campaign. I see that when you use those colors, when you use this treatment, it fits for this overall theme. But I'm worried that it's not legible because of, and then I give very objective reasons. Mm. I don't make it subjective. It's, I don't think you picked a good color for this. It's uh, you don't get into that kind of stuff. You get into, if you are going to say, I don't like the color, it's, I don't like the color because, and then you give an objective standard that you're basing that off of. I try and stay away from subjective things. Yeah. That's one. So, um, 
in terms of writing, one of the things that's made a big difference for me is, uh, I mean, there's, and there's so many different kinds of structure and analysis and, uh, techniques that you can use with writing. But, uh, one that I found of utmost utility is the story Mm -hmm. grid methodology uh, created by Sean Coyne. Um, any writer that is looking for structure, I'd recommend they check it out. Um, but what the reason I find it really useful is because I haven't found any other method of writing that brings like something objective into it. Yeah. It's usually like a gut feeling or oh, I just doesn't resonate or, you know, you get kind of this squishy feedback from other writers that, um, you know, Hey, I, I just, I'm not feeling it or I'm not connecting or, you know, those sorts of things that you can hear that and go, Oh, okay. So something may not be working there, but you have no idea why, you know? And so story grid, what they uh, have done is basically bring some level of objectivity to it. And it's not for everybody, but like for me, I've found it really, really useful to, you know, look as far into it as possible. It's like, Hey, this scene doesn't work. Why? Okay. Well, what are the signals that you're sending? You know, there's some, you know, kind of information theory that goes uh, alongside it where it's like, you know, each beat of the story that you're writing out, um, it's intended to send a particular signal. You know, what signal are you trying to send? Well, this is the signal I'm trying to send. Okay, well, that, I don't think you're sending that signal on when you're writing this beat, and I think this is why. You know, and then sure. you can get really, really specific about the types of signals that you should be sending instead, and and it can be really inspiring, too, to be able to pull it apart and see, like, oh, okay, I'm not a bad writer. I just accidentally in, you know, put the wrong input signal there or the wrong output signal there. Mm-hmm. And if I can figure out exactly what to put in instead to, you know, make it make sense and send the signal that I'm intending, then, yeah. then great, you know, like it's, it's that easy to solve and it, yeah. it really breaks it down. And so that, that, that's just kind of the way that I related to, you know, adding that, I think objectivity and that, um, you know, you're, you're really getting particular and you're explaining in like a really reasonable and, and not squishy way, yeah. you know, that, that can come across as like, Oh, I'm just, you know, I just yeah, don't like it, right. you know, or whatever. I can't tell yeah. you the number of writers that I've seen online that are like, you know, Hey, I shared this work with my writer friend or my editor friend or something. And they just told me it didn't work. <laughs> and it's like, well, that's not helpful. So, you know, to be blunt, a lot of that subjective feedback is because they don't have an objective truth behind it. And I think mm. that behind any kind of subjective reaction to whether it's any kind of any kind of creative work is don't know how to put the objective parts behind it. And that's not that's not saying that it's easy. It's a learned behavior. You have to learn the craft and learn what you're talking about in order to bring those objective things to the table. There are a lot of times where I'm going to critique, where I'm critiquing somebody else's work. I'm like, hey, I'm not really feeling this. I don't really feel like this is the vibe we want to present. Here's why. Yeah. But just saying, I don't like it. In my opinion, it's either an uninformed response or it's a lazy response. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Nine times out of 10, it's probably uninformed. Right. Clients I've worked with and that kind of stuff, they might not know how to speak the language. They might not be able to speak the mm. design lingo, mm-hmm. that kind of stuff. Um, and so that's when you, it's kind of on you as the professional to to dig a little bit. Or they'll say, hey, I'm not really kind of feeling this. Apart. Oh, okay. Why is that? What's what's bothering so, you? What stands out to you as something that's so, not working? So, Dave, would you consider yourself a professional interviewer? I would not. <laughs> but <laughs> I would say I know... 
I know my craft well enough yeah. that I can think about potential roadblocks, potential diversions, pitfalls. a lot of pitfalls. Exactly. A lot of stuff that they are not thinking about because it is not their job to think about those things. And so I can think about those things while learning about a company or a business or a goal for a brand, whatever it might be, and then bring those to the table as questions mm. to make sure that we are considering all of these different angles. That's awesome. No, that's really, really cool, dude. Um, in terms of, you know, you receiving feedback, it sounds like in the past, that wasn't something that was quite so natural for you, you know? What was that like, I guess, overall and like where you're at now in your process, being able to kind of not only, I think, just receive feedback and what that's like, but also how do you like take that and integrate it? So specifically in terms of how like I take feedback if someone's critiquing my work, is that what you're, yeah, yeah. What if, you're asking? I mean, I guess it, and it doesn't necessarily have to be someone with like a stake in the work either. You know, if, if you're just like you know, text me, Hey Derek, what do you think of this that I've been working on? And I was like, I don't know, man, I'm not feeling it. You know, I, I don't really, you know, like it for X, Y, Z reasons. Like does, you know, it, it doesn't ever feel good. I think as a creative person to be told that something that you've made it like someone doesn't like it. Sure. But so I, guess, I, I think to answer that part of the question, mm -hmm. it goes back to, you start digging a little bit. Well, why, like, why are you not feeling it? Yeah. Give me some more information um, because, like I said, there's there's an objective element there at play, which is causing a subjective response. So let's let's figure out what that is. Yeah. Um, but in terms of how I take feedback with my creative work, a lot of it is reminding myself who I'm showing the work to and what their capacity is in terms of understanding or having an understanding of the work that I'm showing. So I show you a logo as a blind reaction, and I give you no context for it. I'm setting myself up for a very difficult situation because you don't know what it's for. You don't know the, you don't know the creative brief like we've talked about. You don't know what the standard is that I designed to. Um, you don't know what considerations I took into it. So I don't think that a blind react mm. is ever good, but... I factor that in when I'm getting the feedback because sometimes I want that blind reaction and I want to know what that feedback is because you might see something that I don't see um, because you're bringing, everyone brings their own perspective to things, but understanding who you're giving that, that preview of work to and the perspective that they have when they're critiquing it. I get a lot of critique from people that are not creative at all. I get a lot of critique from people that are, they're focused on how many products do we have and how are we going to sell them? And how fast are we going to sell them? That's their focus. And they can speak the financial language that I cannot speak. Mm. And they can speak about quantities and market shares and all these kinds of things that are not in my skill set. So I have to understand the perspective that they bring to it when they're critiquing my work and take that into account, which helps me figure out if it's something that I, I necessarily need to internalize or if it's something that I can not necessarily brush off, but categorize as like, okay. I can understand their feedback coming from this perspective and this set of criteria that they're bringing to the table. But I would have a different categorization for like my creative manager who that's his job is to create is to critique our creative work and make mm -hmm. sure that it's up to standard before it goes higher up in the company. I'm going to take what he has to say a lot more seriously than a friend that I send a logo to. That makes sense. Yeah. So I've got 
a question. It's actually one of the first questions we we mm-hmm. had. <clears throat> I think we're finally getting to the first one. So, uh, can you can you walk Lovely. us through what your creative process looks like? Because Derek and I shared a little bit yeah, about that so with each other. I'll limit this to a very specific type of project because it changes okay. slightly depending on what I'm doing. But let's say I'm hired to design a logo for somebody. After I go through the interviews and the questions and I figure out what my creative brief is, I start by looking at inspiration. I look at what's out there. I look at what competitors are doing. I try to figure out what people in the same space or the same kind of business are doing. So hypothetically, if it's an ice cream company, I look at other ice cream companies. I see what those logos look like. And I keep a file of reference material, not just for inspiration, but also to prevent conflicts. So that I'm not replicating something because, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I come up with something. I'm like, oh, that looks pretty cool. And then I use like reverse Google image search. And I'm like, oh, well, that's been done before. I can't, I can't do that. FedEx um, logo. <laughs> yeah, it's, ah, it all comes back to FedEx. Uh, but it, that's something that happens a lot is I'll design something and it looks similar to what someone else has designed. And part of that is there's nothing new under the sun. There are some form like visual forms that are lend themselves more naturally to certain subjects. And so it's easier to fall into those those simple solutions visually. I look at the inspiration, I look at potential conflicts, and then I start sketching. And I just sketch until I start to get an idea of viable direction. So it's basically like dumping anything that's in my mind onto a piece of paper, seeing what what sticks. That's the big idea phase. Like, well, if I could do this, I'd do that and blah, blah, blah. And once I figure out, like once I start running out of ideas for sketches, I'll pause and I'll go back and I'll look at the sketches that I've already done. And I'll just start putting like a check mark next to them. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, this has potential. This has potential. That looks good. We could do something with that. And then I take those and I bring them into um, usually Adobe Illustrator. I basically live in that program. And I start assembling it with the different tools that I have and, you know, blowing up the design into something a little bit more concrete, something a little bit more refined. Um, And then back to something that Derek actually mentioned, this idea of iteration. I want to give a shout out to Aaron Draplin, who is an incredible designer. If you ever get a chance to look at any of his stuff, he's very prominent Mm -hmm. in the Pacific Northwest. So you guys might even see some of his pop-up shops and stuff. Um, He hosts... um, Master, I think it's masterclass or he's got some kind of an online course that um, I I was able to use one of them and it's it's like operation iteration or something like that. It's a very, you know, it's a rhyming name, but his whole thing with logo design is like vectors are free. So vector is the style of design that you use when you're designing an Adobe Illustrator and it's just make something, copy it, tweak it, copy it, tweak it. Just keep evolving that form by making small changes and, oh, what if I did this? What if I did that? And then look at the progression that you've just come up with by iterating Mm -hmm. your ideas. Because your initial concept might be a great starting point, but it might not be a great finishing point. Mm. Because it's very rare that the idea that you sketch down is the idea that's going to print. Um, So you want to... You want to go through that iterative process. And I try and do that as well. I try and exhaust Mm. my ideas for a specific uh, direction. And that helps me know if it's it's viable or worthwhile. 
once I get through that, then I start trying to tell a story with the idea. So not only is my job to create a good logo, but my job is to also show the client why the logo I've created is good. And so a lot of that is simple illustrations like this logo looks like this because I combine this element with this element and this element. And so I'll show those individual elements and make it just like a math formula, like a tree plus a river plus a thumbprint. This is what you get. And they get to see the idea progression. They kind of get a peek behind the curtain, but in a very Mm. refined way. Um, And I build out these presentation decks to explain my thought process and not just explain my thought process, but then show how this visual solution would work. So I use a lot of 3D mockups. I do a lot of Photoshop work to make it look like this is an existing product or this exists in the real world so they can see it in use. And that's the very quick and dirty version of how I, I go through, uh, through my process. Wow, that's cool. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I, I, yeah. I love the emphasis. You know, I mentioned earlier, you mentioned it again, iteration. And I think that that's one of the things... I think every creative should should take away from this episode in particular is the idea that the the creative process in general is one of iteration. I think that yeah. if you are spending all of your time, I guess, working on the same piece and not kind of taking it and, okay, let's iterate, let's do another version of that, you know, and it can be hard because I guess for writing, you know, like iterating a scene, well, what does that mean? It depends on the length of your scene, right? So. It, Sometimes your scene's quite long. You've got a scene that's like three or 4,000 words. I mean, those tend to become a little bit more unwieldy in my experience. But I mean, that being said, it's like, you know, hey, I've got this scene. I need to iterate on it. And what does that mean? I'm going to set it aside and I'm going to do write another version of that from memory. Or, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to keep this part the same, but going forward, I need to iterate on that and tweak it so that it's different and it accomplishes the objective in a clear, more concise way. It's hard because... I struggle with the, with the iterative side of things because once I've done it, it's like, I don't like to necessarily spend a ton of time revisiting it, which is why editing can be a bit tricky for me at times, but it, I've learned how important it is to go back and, and do, do that. Iter- there, there's been times where I've taken a scene and said, Nope, that it just doesn't work anymore. The direction is totally different. Like main character's motivation is totally different, whatever. So you scrap that whole entire scene and okay, well now I've got, all I'm left with is, this is the story event and I've got to run this character through something to get them to that story event. And I know that version 1.0 didn't work, you know? So now I'm iterating on that and Hey, that actually worked a ton better. And then you get feedback and you're like, Oh, now I've got a whole new direction and I got to go back in and, and iterate on it again and tweak it. And so it can be a really time consuming, daunting process, but I tell you what, some of the scenes that I've spent the most time iterating are the ones that I'm like the most mm. proud of, you know, it's like, wow, I, yeah. I, that scene has come a long ways, you know, it's like, I, that, I think sometimes me personally, and I, I, I suspect other creatives as well have this sense of like, kind of more or less, you know, I, I kind of know where this piece that I've written or that I've, you know, music or whatever that I've done, I know where it's at in, in terms of on a scale of one to 10, if it's great or if it sucks, you know? Sure. And, um. I don't know the, the ones that I've kind of had that, that, uh, that's maybe like a four, you know, I've been able to iterate on it and bring it up to that point where I'm like, wow, I, 
man, that might be like a seven or an eight. That's really good. Like I'm excited by that. And I want people to read that. You know, that's the point where you're like, I'm not embarrassed to let people see what I've done now. (laughs) Yeah. And I think that also comes with when you're doing that iteration, you're taking the time to refine. You're not just coming up with copies of the same thing. Yeah. You're refining your work and you're honing it. And so when it comes time to start sharing it, it's like, oh, no, no, I've I've thought of this. Like one of my favorite things when I'm going through critique is someone will say, well, what if you did it this way or what if you did that? And I'm like, I tried that. And it didn't look good. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And it's bonus points if you can say, I tried that and here's what it looked Mm -hmm. like. Yeah. Um, So when you're able to go through that iteration process before you get to the critique, you can come across a lot more confident with what you're presenting. Yeah, that's cool. Definitely. It makes a ton of sense. One, and I think that by virtue of having done that, it's like, imagine, imagine that you're sculpting something and you know, you're just trying to figure out what it is beneath the surface of the marble that you're trying to get at, you know? Mm -hmm. And like the first, you know, couple hours, like you could have chipped away a bunch of the existing marble and maybe it's starting to take on a shape, but it's like, well, if you just stopped there, you know, then you wouldn't have anything that's resembling the masterpiece that could be beneath it, you Mm -hmm. know? And it's like, you just, it's like, no, don't stop there. Keep going, you know, try again you know, get a new piece of marble and keep in mind all the progress that you've made and all the things that you've, that have brought you to the point of realizing, oh, maybe this doesn't work or maybe this isn't the final product, you know, bear Mm -hmm. those in mind and cast away the things that don't work. And, you know, I, I I keep hearing you say, what if, you know, and I think what if Mm -hmm. is a creative's best friend, you know, if you're writing a song and you're like, you know, Hey, I've got this riff and this is what it sounds like. And then you're like, wait, what if, and all of a sudden you've got something that just blows your mind and you're like, holy crap, did I just do that? You know, like that's awesome. And so, yeah, I, th- I think that being able to kind of hold those what ifs close and being able to keep digging and keep just keep creating, right. And seeing where, where it yeah. all goes. That's, that's, I mean, A, I think it's crucial to getting to that kind of final product or that, that point in which you're like, all right, cool. You know, like I've, I've done it, but also it's, for me, it's kind of just the fun of it. You know, you can get yeah. lost in that process and it's, that's a fun place to be. Yeah. You know, what you said reminds me of a professor that I had who Boy, thank I you. only had him for a few <laughs> classes, but I, he was, he was, he was great. So anytime you'd hand him a piece of work and you'd be like, Hey, what do you think about this? He would say like, well, did you turn it upside down? What <laughs> did you, did you light it on fire? What? Like, did you go run over it with your car? And what he was getting at is like, have you explored this idea? Have you have you really explored it? Or is this in its mm. infancy? Like, is this mm. just like your sketch that you're showing me? Or is this like something that you've been working on and you've you've looked at all the different angles and you've thought about the what ifs and you've tried different things? And is this what you're landing on? Or are you still trying to look for a place to land? Um, which I think is... It's something that you learn to understand about yourself as a creative is where you're at in your own process. And when you're starting out, it's really hard to tell. It's like, I don't know when I'm finished. I don't know Mm. when I'm done. Yeah. But as you grow in it, you're like, oh, no, 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 I'm done. Like, I'm done with this part. I can move on to the next thing. You start to, you understand what you're doing more. You've explored all those options. So you 
going forward, you're like, oh, well, I've already explored this and I've explored that. I know those things don't work. And it goes back to what I talked about earlier, like you're backing into that deliverable. You're narrowing the scope of the project as you go to something that you want to put forward. Yeah, I think that's that's so crucial, too, is like iterating just on the process of creating itself from start to finish. Because yeah. like you said, you like the, you're, I'm going to learn to paint, right? I've always been fascinated with painting. I'm going to go learn to paint. And so you sit down and you start figuring out what that looks like for you, not just painting in general, but like you as a painter, what that looks like. Well, mm-hmm. you, you have to figure out, you know, well, I mean, literally, how do I hold the paintbrush? Not only in a, obviously there's technique involved, but also there is a personal touch that it comes along with holding that paintbrush that is uniquely you that you have to figure out. And until yeah. you've learned how to do that, it's like you're, you don't know what your process is from, from that point or from the brush strokes or from the time you set the paintbrush down and look back at the canvas on your easel and say, wow, look what I've done. You know, like there's a whole, like almost an infinite, a seemingly infinite uh, process there that you have to narrow down into something that, you can hold and recognize and become familiar with because otherwise if you're, if you've spent all of your creative endeavors on this one painting and you've never completed it, you've no idea what the endpoint looks like. And so how yeah. do you navigate that? You know, like that's, I, I, I think that's, you know, to harken back to other episodes, right. That's the whole, the, the order and chaos, right? Like having the certainty of knowing this is what my process looks like. This is what does work for me. I don't have to, you know, kind of be like shooting in the dark and hoping that it's, you know, that my, my shots are landing. Like I have a process. I know what I, what I'm comfortable with, what works. And I know, you know, I, I, yeah, you have order and you have certainty and you can navigate that a lot better. I, there's something about that. I just find really interesting because my own experience has been that, you know, a lot for a long time, I was like, I've got a first draft here that I'm working on. And oh man, like, (laughs) I, how do I even know when I've reached the end? But eventually you do reach, you know, if you, you just, I think part of it is getting an end in mind, right? Like what is that a vision for the end of deliverable? Like you've said in terms of freelancing, like you, you have to kind of come up with something, have a roadmap and then go through that process. Because I found out after the fact, writing another book, you know, albeit quite a bit shorter. It's like, I was familiar with what that was like. And I was able to get there. I think not just by virtue of the lower word count, but also by virtue of having done it once already, I was like, oh, I'm I'm comfortable Mm. doing this. Sure. I think, you know, to that point of like the order and chaos and structure and whatnot, uh, the way that it was, it was kind of posed to me as a visual creative is this idea of um, you have to learn the rules in Mm. order to break them. Yeah. And with that way, when you do break them, you, if you're, or I guess the, the extra quote with that is if you're going to break the rules, break them well. Mm. and <laughs> you learn the basic parts of your trade. You learn the the core pieces, and that's not to say that I've got it all figured out, but I know enough to start pushing the boundaries with things and saying like, okay, well, what if we did this? I know this is not what's considered standard. I know this is not what's considered the rule, but in this circumstance, we could do X, Y, or Z. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. That's really cool. That was awesome. like so much there. I'm like, okay, yeah, that was awesome. <laughs> okay, here's here's a good one. Are there any con- uh, unconventional shoot. or unexpected sources of inspiration that have played a role in your creative process? 
Um, man, that's a tough one. And I'll be honest, when I read that sheet that you guys sent me, that was one I of the ones don't that ask I was this. like, <laughs> don't ask that one, guys. <laughs> because unconventional is like, I mean, a lot of people have in creative pursuits a lot of the same sources of inspiration, whether that's like nature or music or like personal relationships or, uh, you know, in the art world, mm-hmm. a muse, like a person that, you know, inspires you, that kind of stuff. I think something that has inspired me that is very much design related is like functional design. When the function is the primary mm. concern of the design. And I mean, it can be as bland as like a stop sign or like a road work sign, you know, that kind of stuff. They're so simple. They're so functional. Like, what is the process there? Did they have a designer do it? Or was it just like (laughs) a bunch of construction workers that were like, I need something big and bright and to the point? Because a principle of design is um, form follows function. It should look like the purpose Mm. that it serves. And that kind of goes back to the idea of like decorating versus designing. Um, So I like to look at things that were not intended to be what you consider like a design piece and think of them in terms of design because there is a purpose and there is a reason why they they went in that direction. And what can I learn from that um, to create good design? Another famous design quote is like, um, what is it? How does it go? It's like, good design is... I'm going to butcher this. Good design is not seen. Mm, um, no. You don't notice good design. Like when you're when you're on your phone, you don't notice the functionality design that's in there because it just works for you. It's just and seamless. It's intuitive and easy to use. That's good design. Yeah. But man, it's I relate it, that back to, yeah, the, to I'm going to always just do this everyone <laughs> relating it back to the writing cuz that's that's my framework, right? But I, well, I'm I mean, relating everything back yeah. to design, so I can't blame you. <laughs> it's for your forte. Good, good, it's your forte. good point. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, so, so in in writing, you know, you have good writing when you don't notice the writing. Yeah. Um, you, you know, it, the moment that the hand of the author is revealed through the writing, or that the, there's something um, about either the circumstances that your characters and your you know piece of fiction are in, or about like sentence structure or something like that, that causes the reader to stop and notice the sentence or to stop and ask, wait a minute, what's going on there? You know, the moment that that's happened, you know, your, your reader is no longer immersed and, and your writing is no longer optimal, you know, because yeah, absolutely. What, what you want is them just to not even notice that they're reading. You know, if you've mm-hmm. ever had a, an experience reading something and you're like, Hey, I just read like 50 pages and I didn't realize that I was even reading. I had a movie in my head and that's what I was yeah. experiencing. You know, that's Very good writing. Cool. I got yeah, a music uh, analogy, metaphor. Let's, Let's bring, bring us full, full circle. circle. Yeah, Come go on. For it. Here we go. <laughs> so it's along the same lines of, hey, this a song got mixed really well and it's well structured. Um People notice, at least for me, and maybe other musicians will totally relate with this. Uh, Metallica, St. Anger album, Lars Ulrich's freaking snare drum annoys the flipping crap out of me. It is insane. Like (laughs) the way they mixed it is, and it's the whole album, the whole thing. It is terrible. 
And it's it's not like that snare sound doesn't exist in a single other album. <laughs> yeah, and it's so prominent. Like they're like, let's just turn it, like turn the gain up on it too. Not only is it annoying, let's like make sure people hear it. And you're just like, yeah. And it and it really detract for me. It detracts from the songs. And I and I don't think it's Metallica's finest work. That's my subjective opinion, and and, and also objective. Yeah. Yeah. And it's also the right <laughs> opinion. I, that's that's the first thought I had. I was like, oh, yeah, you notice. And if you can notice that, you know, hey, this yeah. did not get produced very well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's, yeah. It, it, it's interesting, too, musically. If, you know, I think of one of my favorite bands is Rise Against. And their mix is so well that it's like hard to almost like you have to really stop and pay attention on purpose to hear all of the individual elements that are going along to kind of the, the parts yep. that create the whole right because they just it's so seamless the whole song you just hear it and you're in mm. the song you know you you're you're enabled by virtue of the 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 artists and of the production team to just be a part of the music and there's nothing about most of their songs and how they're produced that to me kind of pull me out and make me go like oh wait a minute i can't enjoy the song now or i'm not enjoying it as much or i'm not as into it as much because i have to stop and notice something mm. in particular so mm -hmm. yeah it's it's really interesting i've never thought about the music side of it in that yeah. way so thanks riley for that <laughs> yeah honestly not to uh, call out any specific band although this is very much about a specific band <laughs> there's a very popular metalcore band out there that when i listen to them all i can hear is that china symbol the oh, entire time <laughs> And it's the same. It doesn't matter what album oh, or man. what song. The China symbol comes in at some point that in the same manner in almost every song. It's like they're either using the same like BPM or whatever it is. Hugely popular band. But I keep getting knocked out of their music because I hear that stupid China symbol, which <laughs> it's I mean, China symbols are like oh, the yeah. bread and butter of metalcore. And that is like yeah. my genre of music. But for whatever reason, this one band, it, he just literally hammers that point like, home. I got a China, China symbol. symbol. Watch this. Wow. Watch me use this. Yeah. Yeah. It's like a, the yes. cowbell skit from SNL with Will Ferrell. <laughs> yes. But with a China symbol. <laughs> That's I hilarious. I need, I need more. Oh, cowbell. man. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. That's so good. That's so good. Uh, on the topic of music production, you definitely have to check out one of the other side projects that I have, which is mm. Dear Untitled. Um, not to, sh you know, shamelessly plug our other podcast, plug away, but, uh, we, we have an episode with Joey wow. Sturgis. That was our, our newest, like kickoff episode. And Joey produced work for like some of the best metalcore bands of all time. Um, one of my personal favorites, mm -hmm. Devil Wars Prada, uh, yes. he produced some of their early work in his garage with Ugh. like found and Holy donated equipment smokes. and He's like made a name for himself, but if you want to talk about a master of their trade, like go listen to that episode with Joey Sturgis and enjoy okay. it because it's incredible. Yeah, we listeners, uh, we'll we'll plug Dear Untitled into the show notes that episode in particular, so jump right in and get started on that. And by the way, I reached out to uh, Nick. Uh, he's the the host on that lead host on that podcast, I believe, right? 
And yeah, um, Nick is the brains of Dear Untitled. This is his passion project. And Nick is, I've been fortunate enough to a, be able to be brought on and do graphics. That's yeah, that's the extent that's of awesome. my involvement. Nick is such a beast in terms of his love of music. And I've I don't know him nearly as well as you do. Shout out to Nick. But he uh I, I got involved with Dear Untitled in its inception, I think, or somewhere around in its inception to do a little bit of writing for, you know, reviewing some bands and just like seeing through that kind of short connection that we had together with him, how passionate and how much he loves music. I was totally just blown away uh, by him. I mean, I love music yeah. too, but I feel like I I'm like a noob compared to <laughs> Nick. So, um, and I, I reached out to him and, uh, he agreed at some point here to, to join us on the podcast. And so Nick, we're ready for you, man. We're going to be, uh, loading you up on the docket here soon. He's going to be a great guest. He's a good guy. And like you said, he's very passionate about the music. He's made some amazing connections over the years That's doing so, this podcast so cool. and some cool stories for sure. Awesome. We can't awesome. we can't wait for it. So stay tuned for for Nick Beardsley, yeah. host of Dear Untitled. He'll be uh, and Dave. Where can one. we find or where can our listeners find you, and where can they see your work? Because I'm sure that you'll be. Yeah. So right now, um, I have not kept up very well with the social and the um, right. portfolio side of things. My portfolio is under under construction at the moment, but my website is dvincentdesign.com. Okay. And then my Instagram handle is at dvincentdesign. Awesome. And we will yes. also plug those into the show notes as well in case anyone's interested in just checking out more of your work, seeing what your design work looks like or you know maybe there's someone listening that, that would like to you know explore design from some other angle uh whatever so we'll, we'll plug that in there sweet works for me awesome well listen guys i need to get wrapped up here um so thanks for such a fun conversation yeah, such awesome. a fun exploration it's it's so interesting to me how like so different and yet so the same creativity is yeah. across different domains um, yeah. <laughs> how, the, the number of times that throughout this recording, we've been like, oh, Dave's talking about this aspect of design. And then I'm like, oh, that makes me think of writing. And the, yeah. like, the oh, parallels, it's like, it's like, the parallels yeah, but, are so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. in a lot of ways, I feel like creatives are like, we kind of silo ourselves off into writing or design or music or painting, or, you know, whatever it is. And yet there's so, in a lot of ways, we're just like drawing from the same well. And, you know, the outcome looks different, but it's, I mean, it's really the same stuff. Like, you know, Dave, you talked about that, you know, the subjective and that there's an objective behind it. And I feel like that is a really, really uh, good metaphor for what I'm getting at here is, you know, the subjective is our domain and the the ways in which we're trying to create, right? But the objective is whatever it is that in that causes us as humans to be able to create which is something that i think is uniquely human um i don't know like it, it we we all have access to it and it is largely the same i think and it's just like how we interact with it that creates that subjective space and that that individual output and so it's just so interesting to me and i love that and i, I hope that my, my personal hope for this podcast is as we get into interviewing more and more folks and folks that are not necessarily even professionals mm -hmm. like yourself, Dave, but like stay at home parents and, or, um, you know, entrepreneurs, small business owners, uh, you know, people from all walks of life that do all kinds of different everyday creative creatives. stuff, you know, that we can everyday yep. creatives. Yeah. People that 
we'll have the opportunity to see how we're all drawing from that same well of creativity, whatever it is that's, that we're all drawing from and and what that output looks like. That's what's really fascinating to me. And that's what I'm hoping to get at yep. throughout this podcast. Yeah. yeah, it's been really cool, dude. I really so. appreciate everything you've been sharing. I've been like writing stuff down like, well, I've ever thought of that. So it's it's been really neat. <laughs> oh, well, I'm, I'm I'm happy to to share a little bit. Uh, I definitely don't think I'm I'm a guru or an expert by any means, but I like to share it. I like to talk about work and design and all that stuff. So, if you got anything from it, I'm more than happy. Awesome. Yeah, well, definitely. we got we got plenty, and I, I think our our listeners will be uh, finding a lot of interesting stuff too. So, again, thank you, and uh, yeah, we'll have to have you back on sometime. Yeah, absolutely. If you ever have more questions, feel free to shoot them over. Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Well, thank you very much, gentlemen. I uh, bid you adieu. And uh, (laughs) adios. (laughs) Hey, creatives. So we've been getting some feedback from our listeners, and I thought that it would be really neat to be able to take their feedback and stories and share them with you. So without further ado... Our next feedback comes from our listener, Elise, and she writes, Living Creativity has been a truly enjoyable podcast that feels authentic and relatable to the difficulties of life that get in the way, but pushing past it to make time for what fills your soul. It's a breath of fresh air. I've always been into different kinds of art, and I think everyone has something creative that they enjoy doing, even if they don't consider it an art. But life gets busy. And people get into a routine just doing what they have to do and often neglect doing other things we love that give us that spark we just can't get anywhere else. Listening to this podcast has helped me to remind myself it's good to do creative things I love, even if it's just for fun because it fills my cup, which then helps me with literally everything else in life. I think creativity helps all people in that way. It's like a domino effect. Listening to this podcast has inspired me to stretch my creative brain a bit. I used to love to write short stories and poems. I wanted to be a writer when I was young. I haven't written for about 16 years, but I've thought about getting back into it for a few years now, having no clue where to start. And after listening to the very first podcast, Derek's story, I wanted to try my hand at writing again and see how it feels. I write all the time, but never for fun. The last couple of weeks I've been writing for fun and those same feelings came right back. I've started and I find myself wanting to get back at it whenever I can and making time for it. Each week I have really loved listening to the podcast and hearing the creative process of different things. I am generally the person who waits till the season's over to watch something so I can binge. I do it with podcasts too. Wait till 30 are out and then listen to them all day. But with this podcast, I'm anxious to hear more. It's been encouraging to me, and I think everyone can relate to it. It's a really good listen, and I can't wait to hear what's next. Thanks for joining us on this episode of the Living Creativity Podcast. We hope you found value in today's discussion and are feeling inspired to live out your creative life. Don't forget to check out the show notes for links to any resources we may have mentioned and to join our Discord community where you can connect with other creatives. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any ideas or feedback you'd like to leave us, you can drop it in the appropriate channel on the Discord server, or you can send us an email at livingcreativitypodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to support us, the best way to do so is by leaving a rating and review on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you're listening from. Thanks again, and as always, keep creating. Keep creating.